All right, we're going to be looking at, uh, going to kind of get to closing up the Sermon on the Mount, and then I'm realizing, no, I'm not going to do that. So it'll be a few more weeks, um, but uh, if you've got a Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 7. If you're not familiar with the Bible, there should be one under one of the seats near you, and the front is an index, and we're going to be looking at Matthew, which is the first gospel of the New Testament, and we're looking at chapter 7, verses 15 through 20 this morning. And if you're here just kind of checking out Christianity, we're glad that you're here. There's a bookshelf in the foyer that has Bibles and other Christian resources, so please pick up anything of interest to you. Again, we're just really glad that you are here. Um, We live in a world where it is increasingly becoming difficult to determine what is, is real and what is fake. I was listening to a radio program, and uh, the woman was on there. I think she was a Stanford professor, and uh, she was looking at somebody on LinkedIn, uh, the website, and uh, she looked at the person's picture, and was like, wow, this person looks practically perfect, you know? And then she realized, wow, one of the earrings was different than the other, and this was like a CEO, and it's like, okay, I can see some people that are younger, you know, wearing different earrings, be cool, but you're, this is your professional picture, you know? It's like, that's unusual. Then she realized that the person's eyes were exactly in the center of the picture, and so she little, did a little investigating and realizing that this person was actually a CGI image of a person. And so she and her a couple fellow professors began to do uh, some research into this and found over a thousand profiles on LinkedIn that were fake people. They did not even exist. And they, was like, and they, they would contact other people, say, hey, you're really into sailing. I'd like to, you know, get with you and talk a little bit about this and that. And so increasingly on the interwebs, it's becoming hard to determine what is real and fake. And several months ago, I was listening to someone, and he said, now there's an ability that's coming to generate video footage that is all CGI. And I'm thinking, what is going to happen when that actually happens? Imagine that tool in the hands of an autocratic leader that wants to foment some kind of anger against another group of people, creating a whole video image that looks real, that looks like something's terrible happening, and then presenting it to the people and say, we need to do something about this. It's kind of frightening, isn't it? Yet, I look at this and I realize, okay, though maybe the ability to deceive in terms of the impact on other people has gone up exponentially with the internet and people's access to that. This is nothing new. It's nothing that has not been around since human beings have walked on this planet. And there's always been false narratives that are presented, especially when there's money or power or sexual pleasure involved as a payoff for that. And one of the things I love about Jesus is that he was a realist. And he knew this type of fake news, fake teaching, fake people would invade the church. And he warns his followers. And that's where we're going to pick up in Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 through 20, before we gather around the Lord's table. This is Jesus speaking in Matthew chapter 7. He says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but 
Inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. This is a reading of God's word. So if you beware of false prophets, literally the term in Greek is pseudo-prophets. Beware those pseudo-prophets. Who is a prophet? A prophet is one who proclaims the word of God to the people and direction from God to the people. So Jesus is warning his disciples, okay, after he says, you folks need to take that narrow way, there's going to be a whole lot of people that are going in a particular direction. And he has said, I want you to choose the narrow way, and that is choosing me and my ethic and following me. And then he says, right after that, recognize that even when you're on the narrow way, there's going to be a whole lot of people that are going to come and attempt to deceive you while you're on that narrow way. He says, beware of these pseudo-prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Throughout the New Testament, there is warnings against pseudo-people. In 2 Corinthians eleven thirteen, Paul warns the church there, in essence, be careful for pseudo-apostles. So there are people coming that are impersonating an apostle and claiming to be an apostle. In 2 Peter 2.1, Peter says, Like there were false prophets in the old days, so there will be pseudo-teachers in the church. So be aware of pseudo-teachers. And in Matthew 24.24, Jesus warns himself, he warns about pseudo-Christ, pseudo-Messiahs, pseudo-people that are coming and saying, I'm the Savior, be careful, be aware of them. So as you read the New Testament and you see all these references to People that are pseudo-spiritual, pseudo-leaders, pseudo-ones that are speaking supposedly for God. And apparently this was a pretty big problem in the early church. And if you are at all tuned into Christian TV, which I try not to watch at all, you're aware that this problem was not limited to the first and second centuries of the church and again, it's frightening to me to see so many that in the last probably 10 years that I would have said, man, this person is solid, you need to listen to them, and then all of a sudden everything collapses in their lives, and you're like, wow, what happened there? These people have a massive following, and all of a sudden it blows up. So what does Jesus want us to do about these pseudo-prophets? It's just a warning here. He says, beware. Watch out. Be alert to the fact that everybody who comes to you and represents themselves as speaking for God isn't speaking for God. And I recognize the irony in myself up here saying, this is what God says. So it's like, okay, you know. But the reality is, yeah, there are people that will claim to speak for God but are not speaking from God. And Jesus says, beware of them. Why? Because they're deceptive and they're dangerous. They're deceptive because he says these pseudo-prophets come to you 
And they're ravenous wolves. There's, there's a danger there, right? The primary predator for first century sheep, if you're out as a shepherd, is a wolf, right? But these are not wolves that come into the flock and everybody knows they're a wolf, right? If you're doing that, it's like, okay, you know, this is the enemy. Let's stay away from this guy. Run away, run away. But these are wolves that invade the flock as other sheep. So you look at me. I'm just a sheep like you all. And notice they're coming in. They're coming in from the outside. We're not sure where they've come from, but they're representing themselves as, as being a sheep. They're deceptive, but they're dangerous. In Acts 20, when Paul is giving a farewell address to the leaders in Ephesus, he says, all right, I have not failed to declare to you the whole counsel of God's word, but when I leave... They're going to be wolves that come in among you. And even from your own number, there are going to arise teachers that teach perverse and strange things. Be careful. Watch out. And I think he probably got that advice from Jesus here, saying there's going to be these folks that come in, and man, they're going to look like a sheep. And that's the challenge. When a false teacher comes in, the false teacher doesn't come in and say, Hey, by the way, I'm going to preach some heresy this morning, so, you know, just want to let you guys be aware of that. And, you know, they don't come up and say, hey, you know, this is an awesome statue of Baal, and I think you guys really should worship Baal here a little bit. It's like, no, it's going to be a whole lot more subtle than that. They're going to look and speak and act, at least on the surface, as a sheep. How do they get a hearing among us as Jesus' followers? Well, I think initially they look like the real deal, right? They look like a genuine article. Paul, in 2 Timothy 3.13, he calls them imposters. What's an imposter? Imposter is someone who disguises themselves to look like somebody else who comes in under a false pretense and wants to win a hearing. And again, they're not going to come in and they're not going to open up Anton LaVey's satanic Bible and say, hey, let's read a few verses from this instead of God's holy word this morning. They're going to come in sheep's clothing. And I think the thing they're going to do first is they're going to use a lot of Christian lingo, right? They are going to know the church phrases. They're going to talk with biblical vocabulary. They're going to use a lot of Christian words. But I think it was Rosaria Butterfield said that these people, they use Christian vocabulary, but they use a very non-Christian dictionary to define those terms. So if you listen to some people, you know, ask them, you know, do you believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Easter is coming up. And they'll be, yeah, I, I believe in the resurrection. Do you believe in the spirit of Christ? And they'll say, I believe in the spirit of Christ. And it's like, whoa, sheep, this person's on board. And then you, you realize after talking to them a little bit, what they mean by the resurrection is not the physical bodily resurrection of Christ from the dead, but the fact that Christ rises in my heart and in my thinking, and he's still alive there, though he didn't really rise from the dead back then. And I believe in the Spirit of Christ, not meaning the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, but I believe in the Spirit of Christ like 
the vibe of Christ. You know, the atmosphere of Christ. Right? It's the love. I'm, I'm believing in that spirit, man. I'm just, you feel that spirit, don't you? And so they'll use a lot of Christian lingo, but it will be infused with a very different meaning. So today it's especially important to push into that a little bit and ask some question. Well, what do you mean by that? So they're going to come with Christian lingo. They're also going to say what we want to hear. If you turn over to 2 Timothy chapter 4. I'll start in verse 1. It says, I charge you, this is Paul to his young protege, Timothy, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearance and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having their itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. So Paul is warning Timothy, hey, there's a time that's coming where people will gather to themselves teachers and prophets and others that will say things that they really want to hear. I've got an itch in my ear and I'm looking for that teacher, that prophet, that Christian spiritual leader who will enable that itch to get scratched, right? And allow me to justify what I want to do, right? This is my particular passion or my desire. And, okay, I'm looking for a Christian teacher that will say, hey, that's fine, right? This is totally possible in our day and age right now, right? And I've had this happen even in my own counseling office where someone will come in and they have already decided this is the direction that I want to go. And if I say, well, I think the word applies in this way in this situation here, they'll say, that's not really what I want to hear. And they may not say that directly, but then I'll hear down the road that they went to three or four different counselors until they finally found a Christian counselor that would say, yeah, totally fine, the direction you're going, go for it with my blessing. And usually we think of these false teachers as kind of being licentious and enabling us to do stuff that would normally be not within the moral boundaries that God has given us in Scripture. Whether it's dealing with money and blessing or sex and how I express that in life. You know, again, you can call enough pastors, you can search enough on the internet, you can find a podcast where you will find someone that says, yeah, fine, go for it. But I think there's also a type of false teaching and a false prophet or false teacher that appeals to a different part of our passion and our flesh. And that is the conservative religious part of our flesh. To me, that first kind of false teaching, it appeals to the younger brother. Remember the story of the prodigal, the younger brother? Hey, I want to get out of here. I want to go. I want to live life, man. I want to just suck the marrow out of life. And 
the first kind of teacher that says, yeah, go for it. No boundaries, no limits. God wants you to be free. But then there's a second kind of false teaching that would appeal to the older brother. And I think we often don't think about this. But as I look at Jesus' life, it seems like his harshest teachings were those that weren't erring on the side of licentiousness or blowing off the standards of God's word, but were the ones that were demanding super difficult discipline to please God. And we see that in the New Testament as well. Turn over to the book of Colossians, if you would. Chapter 2. I'll read verse 8, and then I'll read verses 16 through 23. So here's Paul. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit or empty and deceitful philosophy, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of this world, and not according to Christ, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. So here Paul is warning the Colossians, you know, be aware that you're not deceived. So again, this theme of be careful, watch out. And then verse 16, it says, Therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and the worship of angels, going on in detail about visions or dreams puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. So, so Paul is saying, don't let anybody disqualify you because they say, oh, I've had this vision or I've had this dream, and because of that, these are all the things that you need to stop doing in your life. In 1 Timothy 4, Paul gives a similar warning to Timothy about those that are teaching. It's like, okay, you can't get married, all these kind of things that God has designed that are good to be partaken in with joy in the Lord. These teachers are saying, no, those things are bad. And here we have this being really ascetic, a forbidding of all the good gifts of God. Verse 20 of Colossians 2. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to its regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These indeed have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. And to me, this is another part of false teaching that we don't really often talk about in church because it seems wise, right? We're going to forbid all these things and we're going to make sure that everybody's towing the narrow line and we're going to be more spiritual than Jesus, right? These are all the boundaries and this is what you have to do to be pleasing to God. And, and Paul says, watch out for this. Watch out for those people that come and say, no, this is, this is the boundary and you have to stick within it. This is the only version of the Bible that you could ever use. This is the only way that you should treat alcohol. This is the only way that you should look at this or that. And set up boundaries that are, are very rigid. 
because I think that turns people away from Christ as much as the licentiousness of other Christian teachers does. And I think there's another teaching that I see in our country that's growing, and that's confusing what is the gospel and evangelical Christianity with a certain political party or agenda. And now in many, many churches, this is what is going on. And I look at that and I say, you know, what did Jesus say? My kingdom is not of this world. Yes, I think we need to be involved in our political system. Yes, I think certain regulations and certain legislation is positive and accords with righteousness, but I don't think any particular party has a monopoly on that. And when we begin to identify America as the promised land, and I am so grateful that I live in this country, but this is not my citizenship primarily. I'm first and foremost a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, and secondarily, I'm a citizen of this country. So we need to think long and hard before wholesale adopting some of this teaching about this is what it means to be a Christian and to be. And it seems like in those situations, Jesus is devalued and the political agenda is more highly valued. So we need to be careful of that because I know there are people in droves that are staying away from the church because it has now been identified with a particular political agenda that to me does not always match what God's word says. So beware, because they will say what we want to hear. And that's the dangerous part, right? What did Paul say to the Colossians? These things have the appearance of wisdom. They sound really wise, right? They, man, you know, if, if getting drunk is bad, then we need to say not drinking at all is, is better than drinking with moderation. Because if people don't drink at all, then they're not going to become drunk. It's logical, right? It's reasonable. That the only problem is there that God has created wine. It was his first miracle, right? And it seems to be part of life then. And yes, the warning is not to get drunk, but then what happens to someone who takes a sip of wine and nothing happens? Well, maybe it's not that serious. And then they go farther on down the line. To me, yes, we need to draw the lines where Scripture draws the lines, but we really have to be careful about setting additional boundaries that are not biblical boundaries because it seems wise to us. So be careful both on the kind of licentious side of relaxing all the rules, whatever you want to do with your body, man, it's your body, you do you. And on the other side of God is opposed to all pleasure, anything that seems pleasurable, you need to stop that right away. Because that's not what God wants. God does not want his people happy. He does not want them to experience any of his good gifts. So just cut it out right now. I see some people smiling out there. This needs to end right now. <laughs> so be careful. And again, the Old Testament talks about you. Yeah, we can fall off on the right or on the left from the narrow path. And sometimes, as believers in evangelical circles, we think, oh, we can only fall off on the left. And I don't think when the original prophet wrote that, he was talking about political left and right, conservative and liberal, but, you know, it plays to our culture. So that's the reality. These people also get a hearing, not only because they use Christian lingo, not only because they are saying things that agree with what we want, but they often use and quote the Bible. And to me, the best example of this is Jesus' temptation, right? One of them temptations, what does Satan do? He quotes a verse 
out of Scripture. And these people will push a political agenda or they'll push a religious agenda or they will push a particular agenda towards possessions or sexuality and they'll quote one verse and they'll say, see, the Bible says this. Again, to me, this is one of the reasons that as a church we teach through books of the Bible expositorily because that keeps me honest. I'm not going to be preaching this sermon if I just want to preach things that, that are comfortable. Because in essence, I'm sowing doubt in your mind about, you know, do I believe Helvey? He's one of those, those guys that gets up and speaks in that way. But in essence, you should have that attitude. There should be a sense of, okay, I need to beware. Be noble like the Bereans in the book of Acts that searched the scriptures to see if what Paul was saying was true. If that's what Dr. Luke says is a good thing, these Bereans are noble because they're checking out what Paul said, how much more do you need to check out what I say? And if there's something that you see that I'm saying that is off, you need to talk to me or come to me or talk to one of the elders and say, what, this is what Brett said, but this is what I'm seeing in Scripture. Help me to understand that. And I recognize in our day and age that, you know, there's a whole cottage industry of heresy hunters on the internet and people, all they do is look for a mistake that a pastor would make in misspeaking. When I get up and speak, there's probably some stuff that I say kind of off the cuff that comes to my head. It's like, ah, I'm hoping that's not an error, but it was probably phrased in not the best way or using not the best words, but okay. I'm a human being, and that's the reality. But if I'm up here and I'm saying something that you look at, it's like, whoa, that is contrary to what the Word of God says, then you need to call me out on that. And I get really nervous in any groups where the pastor will say, do not criticize the Lord's anointed. All right? That's a super dangerous place to be. Because what is anointed? Anointed is the Christ, the Messiah. If you're saying... And that's a pseudo-Messiah, a pseudo-anointed person. Nobody is perfect other than Jesus. And Paul had to call out even Peter and say, hey, you know, at one point in time, you were eating with the Gentiles, you were experiencing the freedom of Christ, and now when there's some pressure from these Jews, Jewish Christians in Jerusalem about you're now separating yourselves from them. And what does Paul say in front of you? That's not right, Peter. Peter is a what? He's an apostle. Right? So, Be careful when the Bible is used, but used in an imbalanced and distorted way. You can get the Bible to support basically any position you want by pecking and hunting to pick out a verse here and there. It's like the prosperity gospel. You can read through the Old Testament and there's all sorts of promises of God's blessing. You read through the Proverbs, they're, they're there, right? If that's the only side, I can preach that, man, and people will want to hear that, right? Come to Jesus and you will be rich, maybe not famous, but you will be rich, right? The problem is they just don't preach the other side of that coin, right? The side that says, you know, okay, what is Jesus? I don't even have a place to lay my head. I don't have a house. All who desire to live godly lives, according to Paul, will be persecuted. There's going to be difficulty. Yes, in this world you will have trouble. We don't want to talk about that. Why? Because people will exit. 
And when people exit, they don't put as much money in the plate. And when they're not here to put money in the plate, then I can't drive as nice a car as I want to drive. And so I got to keep saying stuff that's, that's really nice and really comfortable. And I will ignore those passages that are a little bit challenging to people. Again, Paul said, I didn't hesitate to proclaim to you, Ephesians, the whole counsel of God's word. So be really careful when someone is just hunting and pecking for a particular theme without looking at the rest of Scripture. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. That's in the Bible. (laughs) It is. Look it up. Be careful how you use the word of God. One of my favorite passages that counters kind of the prosperity gospel is Paul's prayer in Colossians 1 that we're strengthened with all his might and power. And if I'm a prosperity teacher, what do I say? We're strengthened with all his might and power to become blindingly rich. Because that's all God's might and power coming in. And what does Paul say? So that you may have great endurance and patience. Whoa, that's a letdown. (laughs) That's not going to preach. The first part of that's going to preach. The second part, that's not going to preach. So we're just going to cut that off right, right there. And then the final reason that I think the church gives these folks a hearing is that they are often very charismatic, not in a sense of biblically charismatic, but charismatic personalities and successful by the standards of the world. We see, and it's like, wow, that guy's church is now at 5,000, and now it's at 7,000. And man, he's got 50,000 followers on whatever social media. This guy must be doing things right. In the book of Deuteronomy... Chapter 13. You don't have to turn there. But this is a warning given to the Jews for false prophets, basically. If a prophet or dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder that he tells you comes to pass, so this guy has said, this is going to happen, this is a sign and wonder, and it actually comes to pass. And you're like, whoa, we got to listen to this guy. Look at what he just did. What does the Holy Spirit say? And the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass. And if he says, hey, let's go after other gods, which you have not known, and let us serve them, you shall not listen to the words of the prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice and you shall serve him and hold fast to him. See, there's such a thing as false signs and wonders that happen in the world. And I'm afraid that many Christians in our country are not really familiar with their Bible so they will see somebody that is charismatic, has a big following and some amazing things are going to happen and they say, whoa, we got to follow that guy. He's got the truth. But if that guy is leading in a way away from Christ that is distorting the truth of God's word, so don't listen to him. Don't listen to him. And Thessalonians were warned about when the Antichrist comes, he's going to do all sorts of signs and wonders. There's going to be stuff that happens. Remember when we were in Exodus, right? The staff, the sign that God has given Moses that he is the, who he is, the I am, the I am. He says, throw that thing down, it becomes a snake. 
Well, what do the Egyptians do? They throw their thing, it comes a snake too. Moses' snake eats their snake, but it still happened. And then in the first two plagues, the Egyptians were able to duplicate those plagues, it says, by their secret arts. There's spiritual power out in the world that can create false miracles. Not false in the terms of they did not happen, but false in terms they lead you away from God. I remember talking to a Hindu guy that grew up in India and he had become a Christian and he said, I remember being at these Hindu festivals where people get in these ecstatic stages and I remember seeing a priest take a a sword and slice it through his knife and he says, I could swear I saw it go through his back and come out and leave no wound. And it's like, did that happen? You know, if you're a strictly materialist, you say, no, that didn't happen at all. But the reality is, I think there's spiritual power out there for some of this kind of stuff. And if that power is used to deceive, he's all about that. And so the warning that is given in Deuteronomy is, even if some of that amazing stuff happens, you be careful. You check that according to the word of God. Does this lead me closer to Christ? Does this lead me to be more obedient to Christ? Or with that, does there come a a contrary way? Hey, let's go back to the broad path, man. That narrow way that you're on, that's just way too narrow. Follow my way. So beware, right? So how do we spot one of these pseudo-spiritual leaders? Jesus says, examine the fruit of their lives and their lips. Look for character, not charisma. If you look at the qualifications for leadership in the New Testament that Paul gives in Timothy and Titus, almost all of those are qualities of character, not gifting. And the one thing that an elder has to be able to do is the ability to teach. Everything else is character quality. What's his reputation with outsiders? Is he a person of integrity? How does he handle family life? How does he handle sexuality? How does he handle his money? All of those things are things that the New Testament says these are the qualities of those leaders that you should follow. And if you don't have those qualities, you shouldn't be in Christian leadership. And they're almost all character qualities. And this is really tough in our day and age because so many of us, myself included, get our information from podcasts, right? Patreon is the new tithe, you know, listen to my mind and be a Patreon supporter, right? And it's like, okay, there's some great stuff out there, but the reality is I have no way of evaluating this person's life. I'm not close enough with them. I don't know anybody close enough to know, okay, are they living consistently with what they're saying? So I can evaluate it by the truth of Scripture, but I don't know if their life is consistent with what they're saying. So Jesus says, look at their fruits. And I think fruit here is not spiritual ministry success. My mentor always said, you know, don't be too impressed when God uses you to speak because in the Old Testament, he spoke through a donkey and he will speak through any old ass to get his purpose across, right? So you got to be really careful. When God wants to do something, he'll do something, right? Even if the vessel that he uses to do that is not necessarily right with him. Paul says in Philippians, there's some that are preaching Christ out of rivalry and envy. And he says, okay, I'm glad that they're speaking the truth of Christ, but their motivations were all whacked. 
So look at people's lives, examine the fruit. Is there love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control? Do those things characterize them? Or do these people have a prima donna complex, right? When I'm going to speak in my green room, I need this and this and this. And if it's not there, then I'm not speaking. And trust me, I've heard plenty of stories like that. So examine the fruit of their lives. And then before we come to the table, to me, the big question is, does their teaching lead me closer to Christ and make me appreciate him more? In 2 Corinthians 11.3, Paul says this. He's concerned that these people are going to be led astray from a sincere and a pure devotion to Christ. That's what we're all about growing in our relationship and our understanding of Christ. And when we grow close to him, we're going to evidence that growth with love towards other people, not using other people for my benefit. So watch out. Is this person's lifestyle consistent with what God's calling us to be as believers? Are their words consistent with the words of Christ? And does their teaching lead me to appreciate and draw near to Christ or be more focused on myself than loving God and loving others. Again, when we recognize them here, we're not told that we need to start a campaign against these false. It just says be aware, right? Don't listen to these people. And again, I don't think God wants his people all cynical and looking at somebody and saying, okay, I'm just waiting for them to make a mistake. What's hell are we going to say this morning that screwed up? Okay, I can nail them on, on that one. Jesus just finished talking about not being judgmental, right? But not being judgmental is the same, not the same thing as not being discerning. He doesn't want us to buy, be naive. He doesn't want us to be duped. And man, there are people left and right that are getting duped. And I'm just wondering, you know, because people that were big when I, you know, first came to Christ in terms of scammers on TV, they got busted and then they go, and now they're back again. I'm like, seriously? This guy's selling more stuff right now. Have we not? Who are the people that are buying this stuff? Don't be naive. Evaluate carefully. Be discerning. But also be gracious. I don't think God wants us to be cynical and judgmental of, of every teacher. That's just not the attitude that he wants. But he also doesn't want us to be naively following anybody that says, oh, I'm a Christian. And they use the right words. And on the surface, they appear like they're doing everything right. So let's come to the table now and just examine our lives in light of, do I have a sincere and pure devotion to Christ? That, to me, knowing Christ and knowing his word is going to keep us from being deceived and duped. You know, what... Those that detect counterfeits always say, you know, what you really need to know is not the millions of different counterfeits that are out there. What you need to know is what the genuine looks like. So if you're a believer that's in the word, that knows the word, that knows Christ, you're not going to be near as susceptible to getting duped and deceived. It's still possible. Why? Because it itches our ears. I want this because this is what I want. But push into Jesus and your relationship with Jesus. That is the primary way to prevent ourselves from getting duped and deceived. So let me pray, and then uh, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, we encourage you to partake, partake of the table.
I'm um, just going to ask you to come up, and then uh, Chris and Jeff will hand you the elements. Just take them back to your seat, and then we will partake together. If you are not a follower of Jesus Christ, this is a time where you're just to observe. And uh, I would urge you to, to decide to trust and follow Jesus Christ this morning. So uh, let's pray before we partake in the table. Father, we come to you. You are the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus We thank you that you have provided your life so that we could have life. We celebrate your table this morning. We remember the length to which you were willing to go to reestablish a relationship with us that we had broken because of our rebellion and sin. So Lord, this is a time once again to examine our hearts, to ask ourselves and ask your spirit to Reveal to us any ways in which we're not really sincerely and purely devoted to you right now. And Lord, if you bring anything to mind, you don't do that to shame us, but you do it to heal us and to change us. So Lord, help us to be willing to confess anything that you may bring to mind. And if we do, to remember that if we confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So Lord, work in our hearts even now for your glory, and because of your grace. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.